1: Hello, everyone. Peter Mingles here. You're listening to us on Building Fortunes Radio. It's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. For anybody that might be unfamiliar with my voice, my name is Peter Mingles. We started Building Fortunes Radio back towards the tail end of 2012, beginning part of 2013, because I wanted a microphone and a platform to talk about things that are happening in home-based businesses that sometimes people don't want to really share. So because of this stuff that we do, I like to kind of dig in and give people the the behind-the-scenes scoop, if you will, of a lot of the things that happen in home-based businesses. And you can go to buildingfortunesradio.com to be able to hear a lot of the different things. A gentleman I met along the way, I don't remember when I met him specifically. His name is still Fred Y., and although it sounds like W-H-Y, it's spelled W-E-I-H, I met Fred a while back, and again, since I've known him for so long, I don't remember where the sperm and the egg of the relationship was, but I remember he was always doing some really creative things, and he was one of those entrepreneurs you just knew you wanted to keep in touch with because he was a, and still is, a good hard worker, an honest man, he's putting together some stuff for home-based businesses, and I was always very intrigued with a concept that he had about grocery and receipts and data and things along that line and we've kept in touch over the years it could have been I don't know a half a decade or maybe even a decade or so well recently we were kind of talking like we usually do and I found out that he had access to and knowledge about something that was pretty heavy in the news through a gentleman named Keith Ranieri who um, ran an organization called Nexium and Nexium is spelt Nxivm, so it's pronounced Nexium as if it's N e x i u m, but it's spelled N x i v m. And if you've wondered, did I see that somewhere? Keith Raniere and Nexium? Yeah, he's uh, probably in the process of being sentenced or has been by now for running an alleged—I guess it's not alleged anymore—if he's found guilty, a sex slave thing called DOS, and that was kind of interesting, but it really started off as a subsection of an organization that he had called ESP. His uh, ESP stood for like Educational Success Program. So Ranieri is one of those really different kind of eccentric, kind of a weird kind of a guy who is very interesting, and if you Look at Frank Parlato's uh website frankreport.com. You could learn about him. Scott Johnson, who is a gentleman that we do radio shows and I have Scott I got to give Scott the credit. Scott really broke the Nexium story here on Building Fortunes Radio. So we've spoken a lot about what was going on with Nexium, the tendencies, how it was in essence a legitimate MLM. Um, in regard that they had retail customers and they actually sold a physical product. Um, but it got kind of twisted into this sex slave thing, and there's people that are going to jail and there's a lot of drama. But when I was talking to Fred Y., um, Fred was actually knowledgeable about Keith Ranieri before he even started the whole Nexium thing. So he's got a whole background of how Keith Raniere got started before this headlines, if you will. And although Keith Raniere did make headlines prior to that, um, Fred's just a real good guy and can give us a little bit of the interesting backstory. So I figured it would be great to have him on and talk about some of the things. The trial for Keith Raniere is already over. The sentencing for some of the people is happening right now. And um, if depending on when you're listening to this, that may be over by now, but I wouldn't be surprised if Keith Raniere spends the rest of his life in jail with allegations of sex trafficking, a um, uh, whole bunch of other things, probably money laundering, a whole bunch of other things that are involved, and uh, bringing a whole bunch of other people down with him as well. But Fred Y, thanks for being here on Building Fortunes Radio.
2: Hmm. Well, good morning. I, I appreciate the invite.
1: It's an interesting story and topic and I don't, remember, I don't remember when we got together first, Fred, but I remember it was something to do with the grocery and the receipts and the stuff that you had. So why don't you share with us in our Building Fortunes Radio listening audience a little bit about your background, and then you could weave that in with the Keith Ranieri thing.
2: Well, sure. Um, I've always been interested in, in network marketing um, as a vehicle for people to build their own business. And I first got involved in the industry – like, gosh, way back in 1975 when I was still stationed at West Point and somebody invited me to the Amway the plan, uh, drank the Kool-Aid, thought it was a great product, uh, actually started to recruit and build the uh, business, but it stuck in the back of my head. It said, Eric, this is a real story. I went to bring my mom some of the, their, their soap, which was great, and i actually in the laundry room, and this is – the God's not his truth. I said. So, Mom, this soap is going to make our clothes smell better. It's going to make them cleaner too, and then it's cheaper. I had to bite my tongue when I said it was cheaper because it's concentrated. Concentrated. And she turned to me and she goes, "So, son, has your clothes been dirty all these years? Have that smelled bad too?" And that's at the point where, in the laundry room, I turned. and There was a box of Tide, and I said to myself in my unconscious, my consciousness. Is that I'm going to figure out how to sell her her Tide in a multi-level way, and that was the last of it. And again, that was in 1975, and um, that's how I kind of got my introduction to the to the industry. So years later, uh, I actually acted upon my uh, dream about starting a company that could offer her her Tide, and that's when I started learning about how expensive network marketing products are and why they're expensive. Sometimes the markups are between 1,000 and 2,000 percent, and there's some kind of secret story about the product, which may or may not be true, but I thought that if you could show people how to buy their non-perishable groceries to have it shipped to their home that's cheaper, that there's a business model there. So I actually, in the late 80s, uh, with three other individuals, my wife, Melanie, uh, Vincent Seepiel, who is also a drummer in the band with me at West Point and a gentleman by the name of David Sankis who was a computer programmer. We started a company called Harvest America and we figured out how to create a catalog where consumers could order their non-perishable products essentially the middle of aisles of a supermarket uh, and launched a business and uh, the way I kind of generated leads during that period um, was really simple because this is before the internet obviously before any email. Before webinars, I mean, phone calls cost $0.45 cents a minute, really amazing. If you didn't have a $900 phone bill, you weren't working the business. Uh, but what I would do is I get because the way people communicated mostly, either you met them in person someplace, got invited to someplace to go see them, or you got something in the mail. So I created a one-page letter back to every person that wrote me individually. Um, and every once in a while they would generate phone calls back to me saying, what are you working on? Um, And one of those calls were two guys out of the Clifton Park area. We were in in Cornwall, New York, along the Hudson River, and Clifton Park is just outside Albany, to kind of put that in perspective uh, in New York. And they said, so what are you working on? And I told them about the grocery program, that we were going to be able to ship. Actually, we started shipping non-perishable groceries Great free, free shipping across the United States that guarantee low prices. And they said, that's really interesting. And they got back to me a couple of days later and said, well, we have a company up here in Clifton Park called CBI, and the guy that started it is the smartest man in the world, has the highest IQ in the world. I said, well, that's pretty interesting. He said, yeah, the problem is with the buying club, is that before there was a Costco or the online and all those other type of buying clubs, you know, you would go to a store, look at it, say, a stereo, get the model number and the price. You would then turn around, call a phone, any hundred phone number. They would look up the stereo and quote you a, low, a lower price with delivery to your house. And that's how uh, buying clubs kind of got started in their industry. And I remember this one well. It was called the purchase hour. Uh, and the guy who owned it, his name was Noah Furman, a really interesting, nice guy. He wrote a couple of books about consumerism. But he said, the problem is, how often do you buy a toaster or a stereo? They need a consumable. So they said, would you like to meet Mr. Ranieri? And I said, sure. So I got in my car the following week and drove up to uh, Clifton Park uh, into his, to his office. At that time, it was a smaller office. He had uh, a room for customer service another room for uh, maybe 15, 20 people to do presentations, and then he had a bigger room you could maybe put about 100 people in. And I met Keith, and my initial uh, reaction was, uh, by the way, uh, my uh, partner Vinnie Siepel went with me and David Sankis went with me. Uh, they drove us, up, drove me up there. And But my initial reaction was this small, uh, not small, but short guy comes up to me. He looks like Dennis DeBettis. He had sent us to met his, uh, haircut, uh, and there's a couple of women with them, and they said, hi, I'm Keith Renari, and his head out. And um, that night, we agreed to take Harvest America and put it out front and reverse their marketing to talk about the groceries and to set up a meeting a couple of weeks later uh, where we explained it to their leadership. And that's kind of how it got started, and from there it was just um, – almost like a blink of an eye, the way it grew and how it grew. But, again, back then, the way you grew was having meetings Uh, because people couldn't afford conference calls. It was too expensive to have a $400 conference call. uh, You would actually show up at the hotel, um, and someone invited you there. And the way Harvest America was sold at the time is we had a separate application. People would sign up at the back of the room uh, and sign up for the program, but uh, it was a re- you know I just felt that this guy was really interesting, and there was people all around. There was a lot of activity uh, that was happening. Uh, I went into his office. and one of the really interesting things is that his office was actually organized, um, and I mean everything seemed to be in its place. And one of the gals that I met there, I, I guess, was one of the executives uh, with the business. And she explained to me, he said that what we had to do is is box up everything in his office once a month and say label it March, and then he would have a clean office starting in April. And then he would remember, I need to find something in January. Someone would go look in that storage unit for the items he was looking for. That's how he organized himself personally Um, in, in the group. I said, that's really pretty interesting. I had to be obviously... Uh, about as attentive to detail as possible being at West Point, Uh, but this was like beyond the pale. Every piece of paper had its place. Everything was organized that way, at least in appearance to me as an outsider um, coming in. But uh, that's how we kind of got started um, with it, and then the meeting started with the people in the field. So I don't have a question about how we are just that initial part of the business that started. Uh, Go ahead.
1: Yeah, so this is way before the Internet, obviously, and when people used to pay. I know know some of our newer listeners are here. We actually used to have to pay for long-distance phone service. I mean, it was, you know, as high as, like you're mentioning, I mean, it was expensive to run a home-based business. So a lot of things were done personally and maybe through the mail, which might have been a little bit less expensive or more cost-effective. But um, the world was a different place. There was no Internet. So what year... uh, I, I, I know it's hard, and you might remember, but you, what year about was your first introduction and first business dealings with Ranieri?
2: It, it was 89. Uh, was was just going into the winter, as best as my memory um, tells me. And then we, he said, I want you to do a meeting in front of, uh, I'm going to bring in 10 of my leaders from around the country, and let's do a pitch. Let's do a program with himself and myself, and let's see if they buy it. Um, and now you got to remember, he was introduced at the time to anybody as having the highest IQ in the world. He was a triple graduate of Rensselaer. Uh, they wouldn't let him drive a car because his brain powers would cause accidents at intersections. And I was told these stories, and again, going back then, there was no Google to look up something. There was no way to verify anything unless you hired a private investigator.
0: And I said, well,
2: uh, let's. See what happened at this first meeting is going to be like, which was kind of was very interesting, in fact, because prior to this, I've seen other meetings through the years. I've been part of, as a distributor of other companies, um, especially like with Mway, got to see the big rallies and all this stuff that happened. So this was just a small group of ten leaders in a room. There's a whiteboard, and he gets up first. Uh, someone introduces him. Uh, and he explains the matrix. I think it was a two by fifteen. And this, now you gotta understand, you're sitting, been introduced to guys gonna be the highest IQ in the world. Because it goes like this, it's three Ps in a pod. And he draws draws three Ps, one at the top, two underneath, and that's how he explains the matrix in really simple, about as simple language as you can get. And then he introduces me. He didn't go too much into detail about the services or anything. And what I brought with me, because uh, I gave, gave thought, how am I going to market this? What am I going to say? I don't want to talk about 5,000 products or this or that, and it gets complicated, which we all tend to do. I brought with me a single box of cornflakes, and I explained it this way. We have a mail-order business. You can order your name brand, non-perishable items, everything from Tide to Campbell's soup to cereal. Have it delivered to your place. And the way we did is I took the cornflakes box out. This is roughly $1.99 uh, in your local supermarkets. We sell it for $0.99, cents, and then I took out a $0.50 coupon, and we doubled this $0.50 coupon to a dollar. so now the cornflakes are free, and we'll ship it to you freight-free anywhere in the continental United States. That was my pitch. And I ended it... Um, and uh, let people sign up. All 10 people signed up. They're, these are um, top distributors. I didn't know them at all. I was being introduced to them at the first. Um, I said, oh, this is great. He thought this was great because now they had a consumable to sell in the program because everybody, no matter who you are, buys groceries. doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. Um, and it, the reaction we got, what the reaction was. But what was interesting in that first 30 days, nine of those 10 people quit. Now, it may have been from other problems with CBI or other issues they had, but one, one it was a father and son team, were the, their last name was Bremners they got it. And then the next 30 days, it grew to 100, started to grow, because they turned the pitch around when the others didn't for the presentation and kept it simple, and then the meeting started. Um, and the first one I went to was in Clifton Park uh, in the bigger room. But maybe, you know, uh, there was a standing room only in the room, and we did the presentation together in front of real distributors uh, and prospects for the first time. Uh, and I did the same presentation. Keith, Keith did the same thing. And it was about as simple a uh, presentation as you can make, and people would hang on to every word, it and after it was done people started rushing to the back of the room to sign up um, so the reaction was just unbelievable and, when, and was saying, this
1: people, is right when people were when people were signing up what were they signing up for and how much was it
2: that this is the other part that it attracted me to to the business model is that even back in 89 90 uh, Network marketing products were very much expensive. No other way to explain it. Because I, I, I knew, because that's what they loaded the commissions into. Um, so the higher the product price, the more the commissions. And that's why you had to have the secret story about the product, you know, that somebody developed in the long the Amazon, et cetera. And that's why it's $99 instead of $9. But in reality, it's to pay the commissions. And that's how... Today, till today, how most network marketing programs work. Keith's uh, subscription was only, I believe, the starting price was like fifteen ninety nine a month, and that's what the commissions were paid out of, uh, and not on any of the products. We had the same thing with the groceries; there was no commissions loaded into the groceries. So I was selling the groceries at the lowest possible price I could, thus. Um, as with, like, Amazon today, they were about 20 to 25% lower than any supermarket in the country. So, the, And there was a $39 sign-up fee. So the cost factors were attractive to me. said so now they're doing it. Someone's trying to do this the right way. And the buying program, uh, Purchase Power, was sold as a corporate program that only if you work for a large company, which was true at the time, you can get these discounts on... Uh, all these other things that you're buying and get the same discounts without going to work for this big, for other big companies. So um, it, it was set up in a way that was very effective, very inexpensive uh, uh, for people. To, so it wasn't a big decision or any decision to sign up. So a prospect would bring a new prospect. They would just sign up there, you know, at the meeting. Just, you know, for those of us that have been around a couple number of years, that's the way it was always done, whether you – were selling a product that was a nutritional product or not. This was different. Uh, this would be, you know, like I said, it was a buying club uh, that CBI didn't run. They were buying the services to purchase power. Another company that they essentially when you signed up the application went in, they uh, and then a the catalog or a book of directions with purchase power went out. With us it was a catalogue of the groceries. Essentially it was a three ring binder with thousands of grocery items in there that you can order and send in a form with your coupon to send to us and then we pick, pack, and ship it back to you.
1: So I, I know I'm asking you, the gentleman who kind of ran the company, whether this was legit or not, but the reality was is people were paying for a setup fee. They were paying the monthly subscription. They were buying their groceries. They were getting their groceries. Uh, what was wrong with that equation? Um, well, part of the
2: challenge, you probably hear people say, well, a, a, the distributor might ask an owner of a new company, well, how are you going to handle the growth? And we, you and I both know, you know, the the people that are in the one percenters, two percenters of companies really, really grow and to be through exponential growth. And what I mean by exponential growth, um, we had all our orders go to a sale uh, box in Cornwall. Um, and every week it doubled. I mean, just doubled every week in size. Um, we staffed up uh, and the business model we had um, is that we started off, which is, think about it, which is actually an invention of mine. Uh, you've heard of store pickup. Imagine what we'd be without store pickup during the pandemic. Um, that's how we started with the company is that we started, you know, uh, picking off the shelves of a big independent. It was kind of like a Walmart store. Uh, we actually moved into the store. Uh, they had a 10,000-foot basement and started realizing that what seemed logical that you could pick all the orders off the shelf, success so actually killed you. Because for that's a real simple explanation. Let's say there's 24 boxes of Corn Flakes on the shelf that the consumers would buy. Well, what if you have orders for 27 and the consumers haven't started shopping yet? All of a sudden, you're out of stock. So store pickup only works up to the point, maybe past thirty to forty to fifty orders a day, when you're actually competing with the store retail people uh, from baking to shopping. So we figured out we needed to go direct. At the time, we were this. Uh, that facility was great to get us started. Matter of fact, there used to be bus tours to stop at our facility in Newburgh, New York to see what they were do- we were doing with the groceries, and then they get back on their bus and go up to CBI to visit their facilities. It was a really amazing time. But you got to understand, coast-to-coast home delivery was so futuristic. Nobody was doing that in the grocery business. Sure, home delivery has been around forever. Ever since there's been a store, there's been someone on a bicycle delivering groceries. But shipping from a, a single facility to any address in the continental United States was a brand-new thing. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the people in the food industry, from suppliers to manufacturers to other retailers, uh, they were both saying, you're nuts, this will never work, to they're scared of it. Well, what if this really works? What do we do? We're just retailers. Um, so I, I part of my job was being able to weigh – you know, make my way through all that to my advantage um, for the business. And just what I did notice is the food industry is very slow to change. They study things forever. And usually the people running the companies are in their 70s. Now I'm not 70 yet, but I'll be there in a few years. So I I get that. But they didn't attract new and innovative ideas. They were afraid of it um, to to do that. Now with CBI – Um, essentially they were printing paper because people got this kit with the instructions. If you want to look by stereo, you call here. If you want to buy TV, you call there. If you want travel, you call here. So they just had to keep up with printing. Um, And when I visited visited their offices in Clifton Park, just now we're growing, uh, they had a whole room, literally there must have been 50 people, and all they were doing was opening up envelopes with people's applications that came in on the FedEx truck, wow. which, which, by the way, was a new thing at, at the time. But the meetings themselves grew from like 75 to 100 to a couple, 100. Um, and that's when I met, uh, there's a, one of their distributor's names was Tony, Tony Natalia.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to Building Fortunes Radio on buildingfortunesradio.com. Thanks for listening.